0: And then, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hello, like Brandon said, my name is David. It's a gift and privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, have you ever had a great coach, uh, like someone who can walk you through something in a way that just makes what you're experiencing so clear? Uh, I'm in the middle of a coaching thing right now with a guy named Jack Nicholson. Uh, he keeps inviting me to this hotel in Colorado, right, and saying that all work and no play makes the shining. Anybody? Not that Jack Nicholson, different guy. But his name's Jack Nicholson, and I don't know if you've ever sat down with someone like this uh, who's got just like the capacity to like peer into your soul, uh, even through a Zoom screen. It's like he starts talking, I start sweating, you know, just like, oh my gosh, this guy. Uh, And and in one of our meetings, uh, he was talking about, fancy word, integration pathways. Uh, Like how do you go uh, from something that you know to be true in your mind to something that you believe in your heart uh, and then actually begin to live out. Right? Like it influences what you do. Uh, and this was super fascinating. Uh, with each step in that progression, he was talking about how there's a unique resistance to overcome and about how most of us, this is a shared experience, how most of us get caught up in the transition from what we believe to what we actually do. Because uh, for all sorts of reasons, we get it wrong. Uh, We don't measure up to our own internal ideals. And and so the resistance that we face in that final step, right, aligning our lives with what we hold dear in here, is actually our own shame. And it keeps us locked down, it keeps us discouraged, Uh, makes us believe things about ourselves that aren't true, it makes it harder. Uh, to keep trying, uh, and I was as I was prepping for this week, you know, on a light topic, you know, like lust and sexuality, divorce. Uh, I, I was as I was thinking about what it might be like to sit here in this room, not knowing uh, that this was the conversation that we were going to be having this morning. I, I was like, "What Jack's talking about? That's the, that's the journey, isn't it? Uh, that gap between what we believe." Even who we want to be and where we are right now. Uh, right? There's so much shame wrapped up in this conversation. There's so much uh, stuff to untangle. Uh, but let's start here. Uh, God has made a good and beautiful world. And God has created us for a good and beautiful way of life. And our sexuality is a gift. Uh, sex is a gift given to us by God because God loves us so much, uh, he didn't have to make it so enjoyable, right? It could have been like going to the dentist, <laughs> right? We can laugh, it's okay. <laughs> Trying to lighten the mood. Uh, our sexuality is a gift from God. He made it good, but at the same time, it can also be the cause of so much shame and so much pain. Unchecked, it can fracture the way that we relate to each other and actually push us away from the intimacy, the connection, the safety, and the vulnerability that we all long for. Uh, and passages like today can sound extreme. Uh, for a long time, people have gotten weird around what it means to live this out. Uh, there's a stream of church historians that say, origin of Alexandria, you know, one of the earliest Christian theologians in the second century, uh, eunuched himself as a result of Jesus' teaching here. Uh, But uh, fear not, you won't find any eye-gouger devices or hand guillotines in the lobby uh, today. Um, Here's what I I, I want us to hold on to. Jesus knows what he's doing. Uh, Jesus knows what he's doing. We can trust him. Like Brandon talked about a couple weeks ago, he came to fulfill the scriptures and show us what it means to actually live them out. Uh, See, what if our sexuality could not only be free from destructive behavior and shame, uh, but as Jesus moves us towards wholeness in this area, what what if it's actually deeply connected to what he's doing in the world? Uh, What if this is about more than uh, just like a holiness statement or personal purity Uh, but a vital part of what it means to see his kingdom of love and justice and dignity and honor and the protection of the vulnerable come on earth as it is in heaven. God made a good and beautiful world, and God created us for a good and beautiful way of life. And that includes how we steward our sexuality. Uh, As we get started this morning, uh, would you pray with me one more time? Jesus, we need you. I need you. Would you be with us in this conversation? And we love you. And thank you for loving us first. Amen. Uh, If you're new or visiting with us today, like as mentioned earlier, spicy day to do so, welcome. Uh, We're in a series working through the Gospel of Matthew. We're in the Sermon on the Mount right now. Uh, which is Jesus' teaching about what his kingdom is like. It started with the Beatitudes, you know, all those surprising statements of blessing uh, to the mourning, to the meek, to the peacemakers, to those who are hungry and thirsty for a justice that is not present yet, Uh, right? And then there's the salt and light thing, and then about how Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament law and commands, not abolish them, because God has always wanted the same thing from his people, Uh, It just kept messing it up. Uh, And so we get to finally see it embodied, uh, fulfilled in Jesus. And after that comes a series of six short teachings, which we started last week uh, with the teaching on anger. And this week, we've got the second and the third. Uh, And each of these teachings, with one exception, uh, which we'll get to in a little bit, uh, they follow a similar pattern, as Jesus is a great teacher Uh, Theologian Glenn Stason outlines this pattern like this. It begins with a statement of traditional righteousness. This is usually just right out of the Old Testament law, even the Ten Commandments. This would have been like the accepted standard of practice for what it meant to live in covenant relationship with God. Uh, Then Jesus makes a diagnosis of a vicious cycle, uh, which is all this sin and brokenness that can remain in here, even if you're doing the thing a diagnosis of a vicious cycle, and then Jesus ends with transforming intent, a transforming initiative, a practice, a takeaway. Here, go and do this thing to integrate what you know to be true into your life. And let's bring that framework with us as we enter back into our passage for today, Matthew 5, starting in verse 27. You have heard it, that it was said, do not commit Adultery. Uh, This is the traditional righteousness part uh, pulled just straight out of the Ten Commandments. And what Jesus is critiquing in this series of teachings uh, would have been an attitude that sounded like, you know, "If if I'm not doing this, then I'm good. God and I are cool. I'm following the law, not committing adultery. Gold star for myself. As if, as if, all God wanted from his people was this, right? As if that was all God wanted from his people when it came to honoring him and loving their neighbor as themselves with how they stewarded their sexuality, right? Just don't commit adultery. Uh, Have you ever wondered why it is, uh, this is just like a human thing, Uh, have you ever wondered why it is that we have this tendency, uh, this instinct to reduce God's instruction uh, down to like the lowest common denominator, Instead of letting it activate our imaginations about what it means to become the most full expression of who He created us to be. Have you ever wondered that? Like, what's that about? It's why every conversation I ever had in youth group or at summer camp about a Christian sexual ethic always devolved into a debate about how far is too far. I like, okay, no sex until you're married, but I mean bro, bro, bro. Where's the lie? We've got this tendency, right, to reduce God's instruction down to its lowest common denominator rather than let it activate our imagination about what it means to become the most full expression of who he created us to be. People have been doing that forever. That's actually a link between this second teaching on lust and adultery uh, with the third teaching on divorce. The Pharisees are trying to exploit the technicality of the law to justify lowest common denominator living, and sometimes even outside of that. They're in how far is too far mode. Uh, you can hear it, and there are questions like, okay, Jesus, I mean, I hear you say, love my neighbor as myself, but I mean, really, who is my uh, we hear it again in Matthew 19, uh, where they push Jesus for an answer on what grounds a man could use to divorce his wife. Like, like, what's in bounds? And those are the wrong questions. They're the wrong questions. They reveal a heart that wants to appear externally compliant and yet at the same time remain unchanged, self focused. And Jesus knows what he's doing which is why he goes to the heart right in the next verse. Continue with me in verse 28. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is the vicious cycle. Because the same things can be in your mind and in your heart, whether you use your body or not. I imagine Jesus is pretty heated here. Uh, but these words being spoken with the urgency that comes from deep love, right? You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, I don't just want external compliance. I want you to be whole, wholehearted, a person of integrity, the same on the inside as you are on the outside. Uh, So what does it mean to look lustfully? Uh, We do need to define some terms. Uh, Probably the best English translation of that phrase is to stare. Uh, It's that lingering look, uh, that look that has a purpose, that has intent. Uh, Let's be real world, though, about this. Uh, You're going to see someone attractive. Like, it's just going to happen. And because God has wired sexuality into each of us, that's going to stoke some sort of desire. It's a chemical reaction, it's just going to happen. Uh, The question is, what will we do with that desire? Will we harbor it or will we release it? Uh, If you look at this passage, Jesus doesn't condemn desire. What he condemns is the second look, the lingering look. Not looking at someone and having desire just springing up out of nowhere, but looking at someone in order to desire. Does that make sense? It's the intent. Uh, Think about a social media algorithm, you know, all the data science that sits behind what you see when you log into Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. Uh, That's curated for you based on your engagement, right? You, You hover over a post, and that tells the algorithm what you like, and then it starts to add more and more and more of that to your feed, and that starts to become more and more and more what you see. The, the more we look in order to desire, right, the more that we look lustfully it begins to set a pattern in our brains uh, about how we get that desire met. Right, Remember, like a human algorithm. That's why those things are so powerful. And you log in one day and you're like, how did Facebook know that I would love these hand stitched, resolable boots made out of reclaimed leather by artisans in Portland? <laughs> Literally happened to me. It's because what we engage with and how we engage with our eyes starts to become what we see and how we see over and over again. And that shapes us. We are all being formed all the time by something. Which is why the last three words in this verse is so powerful. Circle them, highlight them if you can. In his heart. See, what Jesus is doing is he's drawing us beyond the action and into the heart, past what we do into why we do it. Uh, Look, uh, the heart's a wild place. It's like the realm of monsters from Moana. Uh, All my references are kids' movies, by the way. (laughs) It's just a season of life. Uh, We will find, when we take a deeper look into our hearts, we'll find affections that are all out of order, running amok, longings and desires that are unmet. It's a crazy place. Uh, But I do believe this is something that we all have in common, uh, that in each of our hearts, we have a deep longing for intimacy, connection, for safety, and for vulnerability. And when we look lustfully, When that desire sneaks out sideways and wants to get met with that quick hit, like on our own terms, and our own timing, it actually pushes us further apart from each other. It builds up walls to that sense of intimacy and connection and vulnerability that deep down we really long for, because we're no longer human beings, because we've turned each other into objects, to be consumed instead. Theologian Dale Bruner puts it like this. The looking that Jesus condemns here is lustful looking, staring with the intent to possess, or at least to burn. The other person is no longer really a unique human being. She or he is now simply kindling, tender, a thing, a way for one to enjoy oneself, to express oneself, to feel one's powers. I love this last sentence. Jesus' concern is the human being and her or his valuation. Right? That's why God cares about this stuff, that's why it matters. That's why if the conversation just stops like a holiness statement or a personal purity, it feels like it's missing something. And I want to take just a couple minutes and talk about why God cares about how we steward our sexuality, right? what it has to do with the bigger picture of what God is doing in the world. And the scriptures tell us that each of us, every person, is created in God's image, right? that there is a sacredness to our createdness. And as we trace the ark of God's presence through the scriptures, it shows up in burning bushes, in pillars of fire, a whirlwind, and then the tabernacle, and in the temple, uh, which used to be like a building. Uh, but Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 is now embodied, right? Our bodies are where the spirit of God dwells. And so to turn someone else into an object is to degrade and demean the image of God inherent in every person. As something that should move us towards dignifying and honoring instead. It's the dwelling place of God's spirit that we're dehumanizing. And there's so much more to get into on a theology of the body and how that builds out, maybe in some fresh ways, what we're talking about today, uh, we just don't have time for. Uh, if you'd like to dig in deeper here, check out this podcast from Bridgetown Church in Portland. Uh, if you are here a couple weeks ago when Bethany Allen spoke, this is where she's on staff. It's about a 45-minute conversation. I can't recommend it enough. In Romans 16, Paul closes his letter with this long series of greetings that paint this picture of a flourishing spiritual household. There's mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, all working together to build a kind of community that reflected God's dream for the world and sought his kingdom in their city. And that passage has been foundational for how we want to live into the call for women and men Uh, to partner together for the gospel. And and, and there's so much global and historical brokenness in that conversation, and this isn't that message. Uh, All I want to do today is help us see that the way that we steward our sexuality has a direct impact on our capacity to live into becoming that kind of a community. Because it can keep us fearful and fractured instead of united in love and respect. stewarding our sexuality. It's about more than just our personal purity, even though it involves that. It's about honoring the image of God present in every person. And it's a vital component to living into God's vision of a flourishing spiritual household as God weaves together a new tapestry of shalom out of the broken pieces of the way that we've objectified each other. In their joint commentary on this passage, theologians Robert Gulick and Amy Jill Levine write, one can meet the requirements of this demand only by means of a new relationship between men and women, one where no one is regarded as a sex object. In each of these teachings, Jesus is also placing a protective shield around each person as if to say, you are not to work out your junk on each other. Uh, we hear it in the teaching on anger just before this. Uh, we hear it here in this teaching on lust. And, and it connects us to this teaching on divorce in verse 31 and 32. Uh, we'll dig in more on divorce as a topic when we get to Matthew 19. Uh, there would have been no way to give that conversation the honor and nuance that it needs today. Uh, this is the connecting thread, though. The lowest common denominator living. Living. An interpretation of the law to accommodate practices for the sake of pleasure, power, and control instead of letting them activate the imagination for what it means to live fully into who God created us to be. Uh, There was a major rabbinical school at the time that taught an interpretation of Jewish law on the grounds for divorce uh, to be as broad uh, as I just don't find you attractive anymore, Uh, which really means I find someone else more attractive. Uh, Can you hear the connection? between these two teachings. Uh, This was all one-sided, by the way. Culturally, the power was exclusively with men. And lowest common denominator living was, well, I gave her a certificate of divorce. So we're set, right? See, Jesus pushes past the practice to the heart, right? He challenges the act, calls his audience to a higher standard, and in doing so, places a protective shield around women. You are not to work out your junk on each other. Jesus' concern is for the human being. The good news in these teachings is shalom and the protection of the vulnerable. So how do we live into this? Uh, When you get home today, do yourself a favor and Google search Bob Newhart, stop it. Uh, What you'll find is a delightful sketch comedy clip where Bob Newhart plays a clinical psychologist who attempts to counsel someone with a deep and complex phobia with two words. Can you guess what they are? Stop it. Just stop it. Uh, I don't want to preach that sermon. Uh, There's lots of resources and strategies about how to manage our behavior, how we look at people, what media or online content we consume, and those are all good and important things to talk about. But better information and strategies for how to manage our thought life and internet usage won't bring about heart transformation, though. That's why Jesus moves past the action to heart. He wants us to be whole. If we only focus on how to change or manage our behavior, uh, we're just setting ourselves up for these cycles of success and failure that drive us further and further into shame. Uh, And I know this because this has been a part of my story, too. Uh, I saw pornography for the first time in sixth grade. Uh, And it stuck with me all the way through middle school and high school. Uh, I didn't start trying to address it until right before graduating and going to college, uh, which is really when I started following Jesus. Uh, Coincidentally, I started dating a girl named Brittany. Uh, There were some hard conversations there. And I spent the next few years in this cycle of trying to do all the things, all the things, and getting stuck in the repeat pattern where I felt more and more shame, more and more like I needed to hide and project a version of myself that wasn't true. And in that, I felt so isolated. If this is an area of your life where God's inviting you to wholeness, or if you're dating, engaged, married, or parenting someone who is, you feel isolated this morning? I want to share some quick statistics with you. Uh, These come from a Barna survey in 2020. My instinct is that these numbers have not gotten smaller in the last three years. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. 76% of young Christian men 18 to 24 years old actively search for porn. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. And 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Uh, I share this in part to help us understand the scale of what we're dealing with. This is a massive issue. Uh, but mostly so that you know that if that's you this morning, you're not alone. Don't let the enemy keep you isolated in shame. I've been there. You can feel like you're working so hard and yet going nowhere. Are you weary and heavy laden this morning? What transforming initiative does Jesus offer us in this teaching? Let's take a look back at verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Uh, Scholars are quick to point out that this is hyperbole to make a point, right? There's no eye removal devices or hand guillotines under your chairs this morning. Uh, Here's what I want us to see, though. Jesus' transforming initiative is to take responsibility and enter into what is hard, painful, humbling, even humiliating, to find healing and wholeness. Right? Jesus places the onus of action on the individual and invites taking personal responsibility. That's how we step into a more full expression of who God created us to be. There's this tension, though. This is real. Uh, there are absolutely things that we cannot do without God. And at the same time, there are absolutely things that God will not do for us. Dallas Willard's got this great quote that grace is opposed to earning, not effort. And that holy tension is what Jesus calls us to here. And because transformation and healing are not passive activities, right? We need to own what's within our scope of responsibility. Uh, What Jesus says here is to cut off at the source whatever it is that's making space for a lustful consumption of someone else to make its home in us. Uh, And it's easy to look at these verses and be drawn to the tactical uh, behavior applications about what we see and what we do, what apps or browser plugins to use, how to bounce our eyes. I'm telling you guys, I've done all the stuff. Please hear me, those are good things. Uh, It's just easy to focus there. And forget that Jesus talks about the heart. And so how do hearts change? What we're really talking about is spiritual formation, uh, which we never talk about here. (laughs) That's sarcasm. I'm glad you got that. We talk about it all the time. It's one of the reasons I love this church. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, If you've been here a while, you've probably seen this. This is not the Deathly Hallows from Harry Potter, this is a framework that invites us to consider transformation holistically, because we need each one of these components, truth, practices, community, and the Holy Spirit working through each of them to do what we cannot do on our own, that holy tension of God's work and our responsibility. I will tell you this story in more detail another time. Uh, but I moved to L.A. right after finishing my undergrad to, enter, to intern at a, a pretty big, pretty hip church there. Uh, and the way to really get in with a lead pastor uh, was to, uh, who was like this big speaker author guy, uh, was to be part of this invite-only basketball game that happened after staff meetings. I, I wanted to go so bad. Uh, and I remember uh, one day getting the text that I was invited on my Motorola Razor. <laughs> Timestamp for you. And I was so excited. Uh, And then I was immediately horrified as I remembered that I was and still am a horrible basketball player. Uh, The story ends with me diving for a ball, going out of bounds on a concrete court, only to throw it further out of bounds, landing weird on my wrist. I remember walking back over to my team and saying, guys, I don't think I can shoot or dribble anymore. And and this look of like relief coming over their (laughs) faces. Like, he finally understands. Uh, I broke my wrist, had to have surgery, which meant that Brittany and I got married with my right arm fully casted. Let me tell you, nothing says romance like sitting in a hot tub on your honeymoon with your cast arm and a plastic newspaper bag. See, I knew some truth about basketball. Knew the rules, what to do, that sort of thing. I had a community of people to play with. I had no practices. (laughs) I didn't put in the time. Silly story. Point is, we need all the pieces. If we take this framework and apply it to what we're talking about today, here's what it looks like if a piece is missing. Uh, Maybe this describes some of your experiences. Uh, We have truth and community, but are lacking like heart level formation practices. Things that help us integrate what we know into our soul. Uh, those are like the accountability groups that go nowhere, right? Where everyone's stuck and just like Groundhog Daying over and over again. Because it's missing practices, ways to integrate uh, the truth that we know into our heart and soul on a practical level. Uh, this might be a controversial take, uh, but community and practices. Uh, but where truth is lacking or misguided is where we got toxic purity culture. It's missing a whole lot of grace, not to mention any real value for the good gift that God gave us in our sexuality. Uh, Practices in truth, uh, but uh, where community is lacking, where we have the chance and space to be vulnerable, Uh, that just sets us up for those cycles of shame and isolation as we try to work through this on our own. Uh, and if I had to guess, this is where most of us wrestling uh, with this find ourselves. Right? Shame creates such a barrier to entry to being vulnerable with someone else about what you're going through. Uh, but remember this morning that you're not alone. Don't let the enemy use shame to keep you isolated. Uh, I've got an invitation or a next step for each side of the triangle. Like, as I walk us through these briefly... Uh, would you ask God to help you see what might be the next step towards wholeness for you, where he's inviting you? Uh, if you're feeling a draw to go deeper in understanding, right, if in this moment uh, you're like, man, I have believed some things that are incomplete about how God wants me to steward the sex drive that he has given me, grab some headphones, go for a walk, listen to that podcast from Bridgetown. Uh, it's really helpful as far as building out theological foundation for what we're talking about today. Uh, If you're feeling a draw to take a courageous step and and not walk through this alone anymore, Uh, there's an amazing organization based right here in Indianapolis called Care to Change. Uh, They run groups and workshops on all sorts of things. They're licensed uh, therapists and counselors. Uh, And and in their menu are workshops and groups on sexual addiction uh, and sexual addiction in marriage, uh, to name a few. Uh, there's a couple of other great organizations we're connected to as well, but I wanted to keep the invitation in this portion uh, as straightforward as possible. Uh, whether it's you or your spouse or fiance that are on a journey towards wholeness here, this is a great next step. Uh, if you're feeling a draw towards a formation practice, uh, one that's aimed at the heart, do this. If you don't know what to do, this, do this one. Grab your phone and set an alarm reminder every day to pray a short prayer that goes something like this. God, I ask for the grace to become aware of my desires and to hold them open-handed before you. And let the Holy Spirit guide you to start to notice what's going on in here. And when you notice something, whatever it is or however you feel about it, don't judge it, name it. Say, God, this is me right now. This is my present state. I hold it open-handed before you. And God will meet you in that space and start to reorder what's in here, make it whole. Because Jesus doesn't just want some sort of external compliance, right? He wants us to be whole. It goes without saying, but we're here to guide you and be with you in this conversation. You know, if starting just by grabbing coffee, and hearing your story is helpful. We'd love to do that too. You can grab one of those connect cards and just write coffee on it, in your name, contact, and someone on our team will reach out and follow up with you. God created a good and beautiful world, and God created us for a good and beautiful way of life—one that honors and dignifies every person because they bear His image. One where our relationships are flourishing to their full potential. And so he asks us not to seek the lowest common denominator with our sexual stewardship, but to activate our imaginations around what it could look like to live into the most full expression of who he created us to be. You pray with me? God, we thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you for all of your good gifts in the beautiful world that you've made. Uh, Jesus, we stand in the tension and at times the heartache of the gap between where we are and where we want to be. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would meet us in that space, Uh, not with shoulds or lists of things to do, but just first with a reminder of your deep, abiding love and presence with us. Uh, Jesus, would you give us uh, a capacity, no matter how hard uh, this conversation or or picturing wholeness in this area of our lives might feel like, uh, would you remind us this morning that if you have asked this of us, uh, that your spirit will empower us to do it, that we have everything that we need in you. Uh, We thank you for your love. We thank you that you loved us first. Pray these things in and for your name. Amen.